Good morning. I encourage you to take a Bible, if you brought one with you, and turn to Psalm 23. If not, there's a few Bibles there you can grab and open up to the, the middle. And you'll probably find the Psalms there in the middle of the Bible. Turn to Psalm 23. You know, we, uh, especially in the Presbyterian Church, uh, teach and, and hold to and understand the the doctrine of sin, that sin has in every way touched and affected every area of our lives. Um, and we readily apply that to our thinking and realize we need God's help to think rightly because um, our minds are affected by, by the deceitfulness of sin. And we apply it to our habits and realize we need to be shaped in, in the things we ought to do and ought not to do. And so we go to the Word of God to, to find that. But one area we tend not to apply that to a lot of times is our emotions, our, our feelings. We tend to act as if a lot of times, well, our feelings, that's, that's just the way we feel. That's just our response. It's just natural. There's nothing I can do about it. It's kind of bigger than who I am. But then you turn to a book like the book of Psalms and you see a book filled with emotions. And it doesn't just, as you sing and, and read and pray through these, these songs which is what they are, they're Israel's hymn book, you, they're not only an opportunity to express your emotion, but actually it's the Word of God that helps to shape how we're to feel about things in life. Um, and songs have a way of doing that, don't they? As you sing something over and over, the music tends to take things, the words into your heart and then change the way you feel and look at, at certain circumstances. Well, today in Psalm 23... We're going to learn from the songwriter, David, who had experienced a lot of different things. Um, some great, some hard, and uh, we will learn from him how to feel about the, the issue, the, the, the topic, the circumstance of, of suffering. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Let me read it for us, and we'll dive in. This is what the Word of God says in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let me pray one more time for us. God, as we approach your word in Psalm 23 this morning, we pray that you would help us to express how we do feel about you. But God, if we're to be honest, um, many times we don't feel these ways about you. And so we pray that in any area of our heart and life and our emotions that, that there is an area that doesn't feel rightly or think rightly or see rightly about who you are and what you've called us to, that you would correct that this morning, that you would help shape the way we feel about you and about the life you've called us to because of our time spent with you and your word this morning. We pray you do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Every year growing up, my family um, went on the beach, to the beach on vacation. It was uh, 
family tradition. We always go to the beach. My dad would get a place for a few days, a long weekend or sometimes a week, and we'd go down and we would play for a week at the beach. One place we used to go to was St. Augustine. And if you've ever been to St. Augustine, they've got this cool museum there called the Ripley's Believe It or Not Museum, full of all kind of interesting, um, believe it or not, type of things. And one of the, the exhibits, you come up to it, it's a, it's a mirror, and it's got all these pictures of faces all the way around it, and there are people making the craziest faces that you've ever seen. I mean, there's one guy that's pulled his lip over his nose, and it's all these kind of weird faces. And it's got a mirror for you to sit there and try to make those faces in the mirror, right? And so you're, you're, you're being silly, you're trying to make all these faces, and you think that's fun, and you keep going through the exhibits. Well, you wind around, and you come back, and later on in, 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 the, in the museum, you come back around behind the mirror that you were making faces at, and you realize it's one of those two-way mirrors that you can look through. And so you can sit there and watch people making fools of themselves, just like you did 10 minutes ago, trying to make those faces. You come around and you see things from a fuller perspective than you had before, um, and you, you laugh even harder. I think Annette and I have been at First Presbyterian for a little over three years now, and one of the things that God has helped me come around the other side of the mirror and look at with a fuller perspective in three years of being here is that the idea of, of hardship, of, of suffering, of the realities of life, and not, not simply just things we've gone through, but by walking with many of you through, through really hard and tough situations. And I used to think of suffering, and, and this, is, this is okay, this is right, of, of it being, suffering is, is one of two things I used to think. One, it's because of, uh, we, you suffer because of a, a result of disobedience or sin. And the Bible teaches that, that um, even though God is loving, forgiving, there are consequences to sin. And um, that is part of, of our suffering sometimes. The other thing I used to think it was, and, and this is right as well, is, is we live in a, a fallen world. We just talked about that. There's not an area that hasn't been touched by sin. So many times, by no direct link to our sins particularly, um, we suffer because we live in a world that's fallen. But what I'm learning is that there's also a third kind of suffering. And the more I study Scripture, the more I see it. It is a suffering that is more of a voluntary nature that comes as a result of us following and taking up the call to follow Jesus as our Savior. It's the suffering that's associated with becoming living sacrifices, of taking up our cross and denying ourselves and following Jesus. It's the suffering that comes uh, along with associating ourselves with the light and that the darkness hates. Um, David knew all three of those kinds of suffering. He knew deep suffering because of the consequences of his sin. He knew, he knew deep suffering just because of living life in a world that has gone wrong, that wasn't the way it's supposed to be because it's been affected by sin. And he knew very well suffering associated with um, taking up the, the call to follow his, his Messiah, his Savior. Uh, he's the one that, if you remember, volunteered to go take on Goliath. And Saul tried to say, no, 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 you don't want to do this. This guy's huge. And he said, no, listen, my, my Lord helped me with the, the bear and the lion, and he's going to take this uncircumcised Philistine down too. Let me at him. I volunteer. I'm signing up. Um, and he knew the suffering, the pain that come, came along with following the road that the Lord has set before him. You know that too. I've taught with many of you. I've lived life with many of you for three years now. And 
Many of you have experienced sin like me because uh, have experienced suffering like me because of my sin. Many of you have experienced suffering by no direct link at, at all to, to your sins, just because you live in a fallen world with things are not the way they should be. And many of you, um, maybe even more recently, are experiencing suffering uh, because you're taking up in a new and fresh way the call to follow Jesus as a living sacrifice, and you're realizing, man, I don't know if I signed up for this. <laughs> I volunteered to follow Jesus, and yet it says, take up your cross and, and deny yourself and follow me. But man, this is tough. This is hard. Psalm 23 was written to be an encouragement in times like that. In times where you experience suffering, to read this, to sing this, literally, and to have your emotions, your feelings shaped on how to, how to feel rightly about God and about your circumstances in the midst of hard times. So let's look at it together and see who the shepherd is, how he shepherds us, and then what are some, some other motivations that he gives us to continue on when times get tough. Um, so first of all, who the shepherd is. You see that in the first few verses there. First of all, it's, it's a shepherd. If you were to read the Psalms up to this point, you would see God described as many different things, as our rock, as our shield, as our deliverer, as our king. But now David uses this analogy of, this illustration of a... Of a shepherd. And it's the most intimate metaphor yet. It's, a shepherd is, is everything to his flock. He's the flock's guide, his physician, his protector. David knew because he'd been a shepherd. He lived with his sheep. He knew what all it took. And he basically says two things about being a shepherd. He says, first of all, to be a shepherd means that you are the ultimate provider. And he says, God is our, our shepherd, our ultimate provider. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want that's literally in the future form there. It's, I do not want now, and I will not want in the future. Because God is the one who's providing for me. I, want, I don't want now, and I will not want in the future. The shepherd thinks and observes in terms of his flock. It says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Um, I used to think of it making me lie down in green pastures as if this picture of, you know, you see those pictures that are in Christian bookstores of the, the rolling Scotland hills, and you see the verse, you know, he, he, leads, he makes me lie down in green pastures. This wasn't Scotland. This was the Middle East. Uh, this was a desertous place uh, where green pastures were hard to find, where still waters were, were hard to find. And it says, our good shepherd leads us in these ways, makes us lie down in green pastures. It leads us beside still waters, literally to waters of rest. And then he restores my soul, literally restores my soul to vitality. This, this rest, this physical rest and renewal causes not only our physical restoration, but spiritual vitality as well. He's saying, he's drilling at home, the Lord God is your provider. He is your provider. He also says he is your protector. He says he leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Um, Literally there, it means right paths, paths of righteousness. There's wrong paths and there's right paths. Our good shepherd leads us in the right ones. Um, and he says there's a hint uh, there that, that if we're left to ourselves, we'll go to the wrong paths. So he leads us, as a shepherd does, in the right paths. And one of those right paths is the valley of the shadow of death. The valley of the shadow of death is as much a right path as the green pastures and the still waters. Um, most likely when 
David is thinking of a valley here. He's thinking of a dry riverbed, a ravine, where uh, in the, the, a drought it would be hollowed out, the, the waters wouldn't be running, and shepherds would take their, their flock there for shade, which is why he says the shadow, the valley of the shadow of death. So you take your flock there to, to escape the, bl- the blazing heat, to, to get some uh, relief from the heat. Um, but those dry riverbeds, those ravines, were also places of danger. If it had rained really heavily upstream, you could literally round a corner as a shepherd with your flock and there'd be a flood of water coming through that could take your whole flock out. Um, There were wild animals, lions and bears. I didn't know there were bears in the Middle East until I studied it. There were. Um, David killed a lion and a bear. And so there's wild animals that could prey on your flock. And there are also criminals that were waiting around any corner to... um, uh, to rob a, a young shepherd boy. So there's huge irony here that at times the dangerous place can actually be the place of security where the shepherd takes us. We are called to trust the shepherd, that his way is right, and that he's the one that's got his rod for defense and his staff for control to keep us where we need to go. God is the ultimate provider. He's also the ultimate protector And he does all that perfectly. David calls him uh, Yahweh, the Lord. Anytime you see the Lord in all caps in Scripture, it's it's that the personal covenant name of, of God, Yahweh. He's saying the covenant Lord, the one who has committed himself to me and entered into this covenant relationship, he is the one that is my ultimate provider and my protector so I can trust him. Um, I, I'm an extrovert. But for some reason, I do not like to go to big social gatherings like wedding uh, uh, receptions or, um, you know, graduation celebrations. Or I don't know what it is. I would rather go to a place where I don't know anybody and be able to stri- strike up a conversation with a stranger than for some reason go to one of those events. I just feel awkward. You know, I'm, I'm looking at my watch. Is it time to go? Is the baby crying? Don't we need to get out of here? That, that kind of thing. And that's actually an introvert, but for some reason, when we're talking about these things, if, if we're talking about we're going to go to the reception, it usually goes like this. You know, I ask her, are we going to go to the reception? She's like, well, yeah, I think we should, don't you? And I say, well, I'll go if you'll go with me. You know, some reason, having my bride there on my arm uh, gives me confidence in those situations. She can help me ask the right questions and, and engage those situations, and I feel a lot more at ease to enter in. There's situations where, by myself, I feel out of place and awkward. Um, That's what David is talking about here. You're going to be and find yourself in various circumstances in life. Some by your own doing that are hard. Some just because you live in a sinful world. Some because you've signed up to follow Jesus into hard places. And he says, the reason that, that you can go there is because of the person you're with. The one who's your shepherd that's leading, that's guiding you into those situations. Many times when I talk to people who are going through hard situations about how they're doing, one of the phrases that that people use, and I've used it as well in the past, is, uh, well, I don't know what God's doing, but I know one day I'll be able to look back and understand His purposes, and, and it'll all be okay. And I know there's comfort there, and maybe in some of those circumstances we will be able to look back and see what God has done and celebrate that, and that'd, that that'd be great. But as I study the Word of God, you know what God gives us? A lot more than He gives us His, his reasons of, of how and why, He gives us who. 
He gives us himself. He doesn't say, hey, I'm, I'm going to lead you in these ways and these places because this, this, and this, and then it'll, it'll all work out, and then we're able to say, oh, okay, okay, I'll follow you there. No, he says, no, trust me. I'm your shepherd. I'm your ultimate provider and protector. Follow me in that situation and know, trust, that things are going to be okay because I'm with you. He is our good shepherd. Now, many times we, we sit and we hear that and we say, okay, I understand that. I, I know that the word says that. But many times he doesn't feel like my provider. And in many situations he doesn't feel like he's protecting me at all. It actually, it hurts what's going on. So what does he do and how does he shepherd? Um, how does he deliver this provision and protection to us? That's our second point. He does two things. He leads us into rest is the first thing. Um, notice that he makes me do things. He leads me to do things that I should naturally want to do, but I don't necessarily. And one of those things is rest. Sheep are naturally skittish animals. Uh, the books tell us that they won't lie down and rest until they feel that everything's taken care of and that there's no threat of danger. The Lord causes us to rest by doing that. He, he says, I'm your protector, I'm your provider, and as I do that, your job is to rest and to trust in me. Dependence is a constant theme in this psalm. It's a prerequisite for being a sheep. Um, I remember as a child sitting in South Georgia on my front porch with my mom and dad, and we would watch the summer thunderstorms roll through. And, uh, you know, the thunder and the lightning and the big winds. And we're sitting there on the porch in Daddy's lap or Mama's lap. And we're just watching this amazing, you know, powerful display uh, of, uh, of nature, you know, pass before us. And then 30 minutes later, the sun's out again. You know, the storms come through. Um, dangerous situation. But I'm sitting in my Daddy's lap and I'm, I'm, I'm looking at it. You know, I'm walking through it. I'm, I'm living through it. It would be weird. It would be uh, the opposite of what is right to see me as a kid in that kind of situation running into the storm instead of running to my dad's lap where I can find comfort. God is saying that here. He's saying, listen, I am the one that can give you rest. In my arms are rest, and that rest is both a provision for you and a protection, both from outside dangers and from yourself. And sometimes we need to be rescued from ourselves. Joe Novison talks about uh, the, the passage in Philippians. It talks about that I labor to grab hold, to lay hold of him who has hold of, of me. He says God's got a hold of us, and, and our tendency is to try to, to get away from that and go our own way. And finally, you know, God reveals to us, no, 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 just, just rest. I've got a hold of you. This is what you're made for. And we're like, oh, yeah. And then we try to get away again, and God says, no, I've got you. Rest in me. Trust that, that in my arms is rest. That rest is, is literally, it's, it's not just sleep. It's not boring. It's not watching golf on, on, on uh, Sunday afternoons. If you like to watch golf, sorry that I just called it boring. Um, it's, it's, it's the idea of ceasing to be about distractions that are outside of our control so that we can enjoy the thing itself and the way we were created to enjoy it. Think about it in the terms of originality. C.S. Lewis says, in music and in art, no man who bothers about being original will actually be original. But if you actually just focus on the feeling or the subject matter or the paint or the play and, and just paint and play what comes to you, then nine times out of ten, as an artist, you'll become original without ever having known it. So listen, don't worry about being original. Look at the thing as an artist and interpret it and paint it. And nine times out of ten, because of your personality and your mix, you will 